certainly is a Saturday for reflecting, isn't it? It's really too hot to go outside here. I, okay, maybe not too hot for you uh, natural-born Southerners, but for Irishmen like me who burn easily and who were raised in climates where 80 degrees was hot, you know, 96 and about 120% humidity is hot enough. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but it's hot. And often when I'm inside or, or just driving around, I reflect. And this is just done somewhat to occupy my time, but also to make sure that I am doing my best to help my clients and also that I'm living up to the standard that I want my life to be measured by. And I know that I'm the only one that can hold myself accountable to that. And in reflection, I go back to one of the things that one of my history professors said. And we were discussing in this context the horrors of the 20th century. And he said, unfortunately, in many philosophies, no matter how they turn out, there's always something called a half-truth. Half-truths are things like, well, let's take, uh, this is a hot-button issue, let's take uh, Marxism, communism. Well, Marx is right in the sense that there are people who have less than others. There is such a thing as I have and I have not. Where he went wrong is assigning morality to the issue and actually agency on a part of the landed class, the ones with money. He's partly right in the sense that in the past there have been issues when, when Marx attacks religion as the opiate of the masses, that in the past state religions and religion itself by some nations, was used to suppress the populace. But that doesn't mean that all rich people are bad and all people who are religious are bad and nefarious. But there's a kernel of truth in there. So moving on to finance and the crux of this short anecdote, there's a half-truth in the philosophy of being debt-free. Recently, J.C. Penney and Pier 1 Imports bit the dust, and this wasn't necessarily due to coronavirus, maybe somewhat in the fact that it was hastened, but they had a lot of debt and a lot of costs, and not a lot of customers. There are people and individuals who, in economic times like this, have lost everything. And that could be due to over-leveraging. Famously, uh, uh, Grant Cardone went bankrupt or has claimed he, uh, bankruptcy. And this was in large part due to over-leveraging. This is a truth. There is such a thing as over-leveraging. However, when we examine the philosophy of being debt-free, we have to ask ourselves, is our objective to be debt-free or is our objective to have more money to spend? And if your objective is to be debt-free, well, then you have your answer. But if your objective is to have more money, 
Perhaps we should look a little bit deeper. Instead of viewing all debt as bad, which I think is the prevailing philosophy, I would argue that debt should be divided into three categories. Named after the movie of the same name, I would argue that it should be ugly, bad, and good. Yes, even good. Ugly debt, in my view, would be something like credit cards, where essentially they can become so crippling that you actually have to take from your lifestyle and your funding of other things just to service the debt on those cards. I mean, if you don't pay it off at the end of every month, 18% interest, 15% interest, that's a lot. And most likely you used it to pay for food or consumable items, Netflix, things that aren't buying you an asset. They aren't producing an income. Maybe it's entertainment for a little bit, but but there's no monetary gain that you've spent that debt to acquire. Then there's bad debt. And bad debt is... It should probably be named benign, but you know what? Uh, uh, that doesn't roll off the tongue so easy, and it can be crippling. Bad debt, a great example, I think, of bad debt is student loans. They can be absolutely crippling, but they can also be very important. So you have the issue of student debt when somebody takes uh, like a feminist dance class, and that's their major, and they spend $240,000 to get it, and then they go in the real world and realize, wait a minute, I have no skills, so I'm going to either go teach more feminist dance classes or I'm going to uh, get a job, you know, selling cars or something, and I have this $240,000 debt that didn't buy me anything. Could have bought a house for that amount. And by the same token, somebody who goes and studies and becomes, let's say, a brain surgeon... Well, I want my brain surgeon, should I ever need something like that, to know what he's doing. I don't want just some guy who went to a trade school. I want somebody who's college-educated, who's smart enough and coordinated enough to perform the operation. And you know what? A brain surgeon is going to cost you a lot of money to to pay for that education. But he's going to make six hundred grand day one. And if he's really good at his job, he's going to potentially make millions upon millions. But he's earned that. And he wouldn't have been able to have that money that, that high-paying job, without taking on the debt. See, he used the debt to purchase that job, essentially. And that works more in his benefit. Now, some of the principal stands, in the sense that if he were to ever go bankrupt, he couldn't get rid of the student debt. If uh, it's a scheduled payment, the lending institution dictates the terms. So, principally, it's still bad debt, but it's not it's not to the point of ugly debt where it's used to buy a consumable and then has a high interest rate. Now, mortgages can also fall under this category. See, bad debt is most debt, excluding credit cards, where again, mortgages, especially 15 years we've been over, they can be bad debt. You buy a house that is not appreciating well. You know, if you buy it outside of Tennessee, for instance, if you buy it in the Northeast where it it is appreciating slowly at the local level, now with Corona, it's not. 
You still have very high property taxes that you have to pay on it. You've got maintenance. You've got all of these things that hurt the investment that you made, which you used debt to purchase. And if you if it's over a 15-year term, again, still scheduled payments, still dictated by the lending institution, it can actually hurt you. But there's one other category, and that's good debt. Now, the fancy term for good debt is leveraging. Leveraging, or good debt, is really defined by the fact that, in most cases, the debt can be defined by the debtor, not the creditor. That the the payments can be scheduled or unscheduled, and the interest rate is relatively low. And lastly, it's also defined by what it purchases. And this is other income-producing assets. So for instance, if I were to go out and borrow against my house in order to purchase additional real estate or refinance my house, whatever, same principle, I'm essentially dictating the terms of the bank. If I take out a 30-year, 20-year, 15-year loan, whatever I want to take out on against the house or refinance it um, to get a rate, to get the money out of my equity to go buy an income-producing asset. That asset then is paid for, and with the income from it, I can help pay down the debt that I already have. Or I have another base somewhere, and it could be... Uh, I didn't count with real estate in it. It could be a brokerage account, although the tax laws change uh, depending on what you use. Regardless, the principle still stands that you take an asset. It could even be your bank account. You take an asset that's already appreciating on its own. You borrow against that, and then you go and buy yourself an asset with that. Then with the income from the asset, which you have no debt on, you use it to pay off the loan, and you've used other people's money to the point where now the original asset that you borrowed against is still appreciating because you didn't take away any of the principal, and now you have this other asset. So then by the time you're done paying that off, you've got two assets that are both appreciated and you can just rinse and repeat. And like the compound interest that we've talked about, that's exponential growth, this will compound exponentially. You can then borrow, you have the ability to borrow against two assets and then four if you want to go that fast. Or three is probably a better uh, uh, right, and you can just grow this as you age and as those assets become more and more mature and make either more money or have more equity stored over time. If you're talking about real estate, there's a lot of different things that you can do. But you can't do that if your philosophy is all debt is bad debt. Now, I've tried to stay out of the weeds and I've tried to stay on a 10,000-foot view, but if you want a more in-depth review... You can either check out my book, Smoke and Mirrors, or actually, uh, you can give me a call uh, if you want. Just go to kevinprendeville.com and my number's up on the right-hand side. I'd be happy to discuss this with you in, in, in concrete numbers, but the point here is there are some financial philosophies that will keep you where you are. They don't have a lot of room for progression, or they don't have the ability for rapid expansion, but there's half-truths. And there is such a thing as over-leveraging. I was talking with a good friend of mine who owns a property management company and multiple 
income producing real estate assets and he uses debt but he also talks all the time about over leveraging you know they'll let you borrow up to 85 percent. he says don't ever do that because again you don't know when coronavirus is going to hit they'll lock down the economy forcibly and then you're out of luck Now, I would argue he could use other things to borrow against and borrow more of it, which would speed up the process, but it's about what he's comfortable with and the philosophy and the principles of the econo- of the financial philosophy that we're talking about still stands. You can use debt, but the definition changes based on what it's used for and what the terms are. This is a very important distinction because I don't believe that all debt is bad debt, but there are plenty of financial people out there that will tell you this. The question is, what do you believe? Do you want to be debt-free or do you want to have more money? What is the objective? And if the objective is to have more money, are you doing the things that will get you there? I've been Kevin Prendville, and this has been your financial lesson for today.